Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation. I got to correct myself out of the gate. Um, The Herschel Walker stuff. I said it was a 60 Minutes interview. It was actually a Nightline interview uh, back in uh, 2008 where Herschel Walker and his then ex-wife, by then ex-wife, were interviewed uh, by Nightline. Um, And that interview, if you search on Google, for example, you can find um, parts of that Nightline interview uh, that where he and his wife sit down and they talk about what well, is called now dissociative identity disorder. It used to be called multiple personality disorder, but uh, he sat down for this interview in order to raise the awareness about mental health issues in the country. And you can find the clips online, but I said it was 60 minutes and it was actually the Nightline interview. Uh, If you put in uh, Herschel Walker Nightline interview, you'll find uh, reports going back to 2008 from the NFL, from different sports magazines, Sports Illustrated and the like, about him and his ex-wife opening up about their struggles and his battle for mental health. Now, uh, there is breaking news happening right now. It's 2.08 p.m. for the timestamp here doing the show live. The Dow has plummeted. Now it had been up 180 points. It's now down 175 points. NASDAQ is down 85 points. The S&P 500 down 20 points. uh, As the Federal Reserve has announced that it is raising interest rates, Uh, 75 uh, basis points or three quarters of a percent. This from the Wall Street Journal, the Federal Reserve is confirming it will raise those rates three quarters of a percent, driving up the cost of capital. This is the third straight increase. Uh, It is the Fed is indicating that they will most likely continue to raise interest rates. Uh, This is now the highest interest rate we have seen from the Federal Reserve since 2007. Stocks are now in free fall since it happened. The bond yields are gaining as well. A further indication we are in deep economic waters as this happens. Uh, The markets at first initially were up when the announcement came, but as they've had time to assess the full remarks of the Federal Reserve, they have decided uh, the markets have collectively that they're going to fall. So the the Dow is now down um, a third of a percent. The S&P 500 down more than a quarter of a percent. The NASDAQ down more than half of a percent. Uh, everything is, is working. Crude oil, by the way, is down to $83 for a barrel, which is good. Um, but we have these economic uh, difficult times. Now, that breaking news has happened. The market's responding, as most people thought. All the major stocks out there today are down from financial to technology stocks. we got to talk about a sad story. I want to use primary sources here. We need to talk about this. If you text the word DATA to 33777 and get my show notes today, I made it available for everyone. Everyone can subscribe. It's 7 bucks a month. 70 for the year to get the daily show notes that I send out with all the details of all the analysis. Today, I wanted to make it available so everybody can see what you're getting. You get most of the stuff without paying. 
the show notes, though, the stack of stuff we put together, we take a lot of time doing it, all the stuff I'm going to talk about on the show. And I try to focus on the primary sources. I don't like to go to the others that are talking about stuff because oftentimes people add their editorial views and, and I'm an opinion editorialist analysis. I want to go to the primary sources, explain the news to you, analyze it for you, and then I'll tell you what I think about it. So I wanted to go to the primary source here. And the primary source here is Valley News from McHenry, North Dakota, the news station up there. A community is in mourning after losing an 18-year-old from Grace City, North Dakota. Foster County detectives were called to a hit and run that happened in an alleyway near Johnson Street and Jones Avenue in McHenry, North Dakota. Court documents say at 2.35 Sunday morning, 41-year-old Shannon Brandt called 911 to report he hit a pedestrian because he was threatening him. The pedestrian was threatening him. Brandt told State Radio the pedestrian was part of a Republican extremist group and he was afraid they were coming to get him. The pedestrian is an 18-year-old named Kyler Ellison who's dead. Brandt admitted to have consumed alcohol. He said he hit Ellison with his car because he had a political argument with him. Brandt said he left the scene of the crime and then called 911. Ellison called his mother and asked if they knew who Brandt was. She said yes and told her son she was on her way to pick him up. A short time later, court documents say Ellison called his mom again to say he or they were chasing him. It was after the second call Ellison could not be reached. Ellison was pronounced dead at Carrington Hospital. Brand has been charged with criminal vehicular homicide and DUI. Court records show bail has been set for $50,000. A 41-year-old man struck and killed with his vehicle, an 18-year-old man, because that 18-year-old was a Republican. Claims, Brandt did, that this kid was part of a Republican extremist group. Brandt says he was afraid that this Republican extremist group was coming to get him. There was no one else there as far as we know. Ellison, Kyler Ellison, the 18-year-old, was calling his mom and told his mom he was being chased. He was being chased by Shannon Brandt, drunk, progressive, angry with the Republicans, struck and killed this 18-year-old boy. I was on CNN when Gabby Giffords was shot. When was that? That was at 2011. I remember, I think it was 2011, and, yep, January of 2011. I was in Kiowa Island. 
there was this group called Awakenings. They had asked me to come speak. They were in Kiowa Island. They very graciously paid for my wife and my kids to go with me, and I got to speak. Had a closed-door meeting there trying to convince Mike Pence he should run for president in 2012. Gabby Giffords was shot in the head on January 8th, 2011. While I was at this conference, the news started to break of what had happened. This was after the rise of the Tea Party. They had taken back Congress. The Republicans were swept in. A man named Jared Lee Lochner shot her. He hit 19 people. He killed six, including federal judge John Roll and a nine-year-old child, Christina Taylor Green, who was the granddaughter of the general manager for the Dallas baseball team, or the general manager for baseball team, Dallas Green. Lochner was charged with 50 federal criminal complaints. He pled guilty to 19 of them in a plea bargain to avoid the death penalty. Gabby Gifford survived. For the next week on CNN, I had to explain why Republicans were not to blame because Sarah Palin had in the run-up to the November election sent out a mail piece listing the targets to be defeated and put target symbols. They were actually uh, survey symbols that looked like targets, and one of them was over Gabriel Gifford's district. And don't you know Sarah Palin caused it? Don't you know the Republicans? I had to be on CNN all week long while Democrats yelled at me that it was my side responsible for this congresswoman getting shot. I remember one of the CNN anchors was so shaken up by it, he used a phrase that was like targeted. He's like, I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't use these phrases in light of what happened. They blamed the Tea Party. In August of 2009, or August of 2010, rather, Democrats were trying to boycott their own town hall meetings. They didn't want to show up at the town hall meetings. Republicans were furious. The Tea Party movement had sprung into life. And in August of 2010, I was telling Republicans at my perch at redstate.com where the Democratic town hall meetings were. I was accused of provoking violence by telling Republican constituents where they could go. Mary Catherine Hamm was then a writer, I believe, for Town Hall. She pointed out that of all of the violent incidents at these town hall meetings where Republican constituents confronted Democrats, out of all of the, there were like 11 documented incidents of violence, 10 of the 11 were union activists who beat up the Republican constituents and the Tea Party members. Only one was a Republican constituent acting out. The rest were Democratic activists punching the Republicans. When that came out, the media moved on from the story, and then Gabby Giffords came, and it was all over again. And I stood there with those Democrats staring at me, telling me my side was violent, my side was responsible for this. Turned out Jared Lee Lochner, to the extent he had political views, was a socialist. But really, he didn't do it because of political views. He was crazy. 
politics had nothing to do with it. And the story died. Then a man flew a plane into the IRS building in Austin, Texas, and I was back on TV again. Those Republicans provoking people, those Republicans, except the man was a Marxist who hated capitalism. And the story went away. The man walked into the Discovery Channel and held hostages. Everyone in the media assumed it had to be some right-winger upset. Nope, it was crazy guy on the left who was convinced they weren't doing enough to stop climate change. The story died. Bet you don't even remember it. Remember watching blue check marks on Twitter say it was Republicans. They deleted their tweets when it turned out he was a left-wing environmental activist. Last week, Joe Biden gave a speech. He painted all of Donald Trump's supporters and the Republican Party as extremist. He said it was the Republican Party that was a threat to our democracy. They were extremists, he said. Now, an 18-year-old Republican has been murdered by a man who said that this 18-year-old was a Republican extremist. He echoed the words of Joe Biden in Joe Biden's speech. I remember when Gabby Giffords died. I remembered all these situations where Republicans were held to account for the words of others, the actions of others, the deeds of others, the political statements of others from Sarah Palin to Donald Trump. Where the hell is the media demanding Democrats account for Joe Biden's words? Where is the accountability for him? Because I assure you it would happen if Donald Trump had said those things. I assure you it would happen if any major Republican said those things. I know it would happen because I had to go through defending them on CNN and trying to explain to people they had nothing to do with this crazy man shooting a congresswoman. And they yelled at me even more because they insisted it was true until the moment it wasn't and not a single one of them apologized. They just moved on as if it didn't happen. Same thing with, with, with James Hodgkinson, who committed the mass assassination of Republicans or tried to. The moment it turned out he watched Rachel Maddow every night and supported Bernie Sanders, they dropped that story. It was off the front page of the New York Times after two days, the moment his political story came out. The Jared Lochner story and Gabby Giffords was on the New York Times page for multiple days, all tied to Republicans and the Tea Party until the moment it wasn't. An 18-year-old Republican was murdered for being a Republican by a 41-year-old progressive in North Dakota, and the national media has already moved on from the story while the body was still warm because the media is playing for a side. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The number is 877-973-7425. Editorially, I've waited till the end of the show. When we come back... I want to talk about a Politico story that suggests a majority of Republicans believe we are a Christian nation. We are not. And I intend to talk about it and disabuse you of the notion. <laughs> uh, hold on. But, okay, I, I got to, before I do any of that, I got to play this from Nicole Hannah-Jones of the 1619 Project fame. She is a fabulist who has revised American history into a series of lies that conform to her worldview. She gave a speech and she said this. Because the truth is we are exceptional, just in many ways that we should be ashamed. And this is a fact. We are the most one of the most unequal societies in the history of the world. 
We are the, she started to say the, and she added the modifier, one of the most unequal societies in the history of the world. You, do you know that that's actually not true at all? I mean, we, she's a fabulist. We shouldn't take this woman seriously. How do I know the United States is one of the greatest nations on planet Earth? Because a woman like Nicole Hannah-Jones can be provided a platform, largely by a group of white people, no less, to disparage this nation and profit from it. She can reinterpret with her imagination the history of this nation and go on the paid speaking circuit to disparage the nation and tell people factually untrue things like we're one of the most unequal societies to have ever existed on planet Earth. She really believes these things. Just because she believes them, even though they are her truth, does not mean they are truth. They're actually lies. She does not like this country. And yet this country loves her so much, she's been able to profit from hating the country. That's how great the United States of America is. God bless it. And maybe one day she'll learn to appreciate that this country, even though she disdains it, has given her a platform and allowed her a career to disparage it because the American people and the nation are truly great. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. But I want you to do me a favor and just listen to me for a little bit. I want to talk about something that it's kind of timely, actually. In large part because I gave a speech. I wasn't here on Friday because I was giving a speech to a group of pastors. Uh, my buddy Cole Musio, Frontline Policy Council. Got it right, Cole. Anybody who knows Cole, tell him I got it right. Frontline Policy. He asked me to speak to a group of pastors about Christians and politics. And it's kind of timely then because along comes this story in Politico. According to the Politico, the headline is most Republicans support declaring the United States a Christian nation. Now, of course, these are a group of uh, professors who are freaked out by the idea of Christian nationalism. The belief the United States was founded as a white Christian nation and that there's no separation between church and state. Now, that's the fear scenario. A lot of people who now call themselves Christian nationalists would say, no, I am a an American citizen, a patriot. I think my country should come first. God should come first. And I think that uh, the nation would be best served if it followed what God said in the Bible. I uh, guess that makes me a Christian nationalist. I think that uh, we have a role to play as Christians in politics to persuade people that our views on life, the abortion issue, and the rest of it is, is better if we understand and have a Christian worldview, but we're a pluralistic society. Now, there are some people who say, well, we're not really pluralistic. We're a pluralistic among Christian denominations. That's not actually true. Uh, the history of this country, if you actually understand the history of this constitution, uh, understand the, the history of America, shows, in fact, that that's not true. But there's this rising movement in the country that uh, we as a nation should embrace the idea that we are a Christian nation. Do you know what the Wilhelm scream is? 
The Wilhelm scream is a very famous scream that's in movies. It's it's uh I'm not going to play you the montage. Uh, it lasts about 15 minutes. There's some bad words in it as people scream it, but you've heard the scream. When the stormtroopers fall off in the Death Star, when the Nazi falls off the cliff in Raiders of the Lost Ark, well, when one of the guys falls off, uh, it falls down the elevator in, in Die Hard, you, you hear the Wilhelm scream. It's the most famous scream in movie history. Now, what is the Wilhelm scream? Well, the Wilhelm scream is a stock sound effect uh, that came into being in 1951 with the film Distant Drums. It's become very famous. Ben Burt, um, I think, uh, was the guy who came up with it. It has been in so many movies. It's been in A Star is Born. It was in Star Wars. It was in every Indiana Jones and subsequent Star Wars movie. It's almost become an in-house joke. Uh, it was in The Mandalorian and the, the Book of Boba Fett. It was in uh, the Pixar short Lift. It's been in The Incredibles. It's been in Toy Story and Cars. It's been in Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad, Lizzie McGuire, The Fairly Odd Parents, The Simpsons, Futurama, Invader Zim, The Shield, Sons of Anarchy, The Powerpuff Girls, Star Trek Enterprise, Venture Brothers, Family Guy, American Dad, The Cleveland Show, Danny Phantom, Stargate Atlantis, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. It's been in a lot of shows. It's a famous scream. I would submit to you that the rise of Christian nationalism in America is the Wilhelm scream of Christians and politics. It's the scream you scream as you're falling off the cliff. America is a post-Christian nation. We're not a Christian nation. We've been a nation full of Christians, but we've never been a nation that was a Christian nation. Thomas Jefferson very famously wanted to edit the Bible the man who wrote our Declaration of Independence uh, wanted to, to write out the parts of the Bible he didn't particularly like, and he wasn't really down with all of the miracles of the Bible. He was one of the founders of our nation. Many of our founders had deist philosophies, and I realize that there are Christian historians who have willfully revised a lot of that so that they can actually take their ending point that we're a Christian nation and walk it back and twist history and truth to make it so, but it's not really so. We were a nation that obviously was full of Christians and therefore reflected Christian values over time, but at this point, we are a post-Christian nation. And it's not a coincidence that this rise of Christian nationalism is coming in the United States at a time the nation is slipping from Christendom into post-Christendom. And I would submit to the people who want to embrace real Christian nationalism as like a matter of state policy that we're a Christian nation, that every time the state and the church get together, the church winds up losing. Whether it's the nations that allowed the Catholic cardinals to come in in the Middle Ages and direct policy, or Henry VIII setting aside the Church of England, or the Lutheran Church in, in uh, the 
in Scandinavian countries, you name it, when the church and the state get in bed together, the church becomes co-opted by the state because the church becomes co-opted by the world because who's in charge of the earthly church? Sinners. On this past Friday, I spoke to a group of pastors. And I rarely get to preach these days. I, I do, preaching is a challenge because I, I thought everybody could just talk off the top of their head for three hours. Turns out it's a it's a skill set I, I have and a lot of people don't. I just assumed everybody could do it. Preaching is more of a challenge to me. I actually have to work at it and get it right because you know there's damnation involved if you lead people astray. You gotta be careful. And so Amos is my favorite book in the Bible. New Testament, Old Testament combined. I love the book of John. Don't get me wrong. Everybody does. But Amos, I have a soft spot for Amos in large part because of a survey several years ago that Amos is the book of the Bible you are least likely to hear preached from in a conservative evangelical church. You are, for perspective, more likely to hear a sermon preached out of the book of Numbers than out of the book of Amos in a Bible-believing Christian church. And the reason is because Amos is the most cited book of the Old Testament in progressive congregations because Amos preaches a social gospel or so the left and the right tend to believe, and they've all misunderstood it. Amos preaches justice, not social justice. Amos preaches God's justice in society. And in chapter seven of Amos, after the plumb line prophecy, Amos is confronted by Amaziah, the priest, in Bethel. Now, you need to understand the dynamics here. Israel split off from, from Judah, and the kings of Israel decided they needed to do something to keep people from going back to the temple in Jerusalem, so they concocted a conspiracy theory. And they essentially said that Aaron and the golden calf was real religion, and Moses was the conspiracy. And they set up golden golden calves at Gilgal and Bethel, and they encouraged the people of Israel, don't go to the temple in Jerusalem, go to Bethel and, and make sacrifice there to the golden calf, which represents God. Remember, Aaron was Levite. He was the head of the priest. He did this. He's got to be real. And they had the high priest at Bethel, Amaziah. And Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all of his words, for thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword. And Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, eat bread there, prophesy there. Never again prophesy at Bethel, for it's the king's sanctuary. It's the temple of the kingdom. Essentially, Amaziah is telling Amos, you go make money down in Judah saying what you want to say, preaching what you want to preach. We got a good thing going up here. You're ruining it. Amaziah was a priest of a church that was interwoven into the government. And as a result, Amaziah, the priest at Bethel, was not interested in sin. He was interested in the sociopolitical economic ramifications of Amos's prophecies. And as you weave a Christian denomination into a governmental setting, the same thing happens. The church worries about the sociopolitical economic fallout, not the sin. And here comes Amos saying, you got to be worried about the sins of the people. The people of Israel are misbehaving. God has now made you rich as an act of mercy because this is the best you're going to have it. You're about to be killed. And Amos says, oh, you can't tell people we're going to be killed. Forget all the sin stuff. 
and then tells Amos, go cash in in Judah. You go do your stricken in Judah. We're making money up here. You're cutting into our money. Reminds me of all those prosperity gospel pastors who surrounded themselves with Trump and laid hands on Trump. Oh, yeah, does that make you mad? Might make you mad for me to tell you this, but it's God's honest truth. You had a bunch of transactionally arranged prosperity gospel ministers who had a transactional friendship with Donald Trump where they couldn't care less if the man burned in hell as long as he gave them the policy they wanted. How many people decided that they were going to be pastor friends of Donald Trump so they could get what they wanted for their church and didn't care one whit whether or not the man went to hell? We're not a Christian nation. We're a post-Christian nation. And if you're a Christian and a post-Christian nation, what should you do? You should spend more time worrying about saving people for God than saving your nation because all the nations of this planet are going to burn, including this one. No nation lasts forever except God's nation, the kingdom of God, and we are not God's nation. God's nation is a multi-ethnic, diverse group of people around the entire world. There are probably more Christians in China than there are total Americans right now. What did Amos say you should do? It's exactly what you and I should do in a post-Christian nation. Seek good and not evil that you may live. Hate evil, love good, establish justice. We're supposed to act on our faith, not just say we believe it. Because God hates a dead faith. Religion in Israel was co-opted by the state for a nationalistic purpose. They even concocted uh, shrines and places that had real meaning for the Israelites. Bethel was where God had wrestled with Jacob. It's where God was supposed to be, and now there was a golden calf there. Gilgal was where God's people consecrated themselves when they crossed the River Jordan. And now there was religion without the reality of God. Beersheba was still in Judah, but the Israel, uh, the people of Samaria would cross over still. It's where God met Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Amos tells the people of Israel, stop going down to Beersheba. God's not there anymore for you. What happens in places where the state and the church intertwine themselves is that you get a highly developed sense of religion and religious practice and a lot of moral corruption. If you don't believe me, we saw that on display in Great Britain this past week where the Church of England totally allows moral corruption while it engages in high priestly ritual rites and robes and ceremony and incense. It's a problem. And as you decide we're a Christian nation and you embrace Christian nationalism and you try to weave the state and the church together, you're not going to be able to do what all the other Christians who did this in the past have done, have God come out on top. You can't be like the world. We're supposed to speak into the world, not conform to the world. And when your religion gets in bed with your government, your religion conforms to the government, not the other way around. It's never happened. Even when David was king of Israel, he had problems living up to God. You can't be a Republican in church. You gotta be a Christian in politics. And the way you do that is not to bring your religion into your politics. It's not to carry the water for a politician or a political party. It's to bear a cross. I'm deeply disturbed these days by the number of people on my side of the aisle and in my church who can't criticize politicians, who, who get defensive when you point out Donald Trump was a man married three times and had an affair on his pregnant third wife with a porn star. Oh, what does it matter? Was it, well, you people told me character counted. Does it not now? 
because your side's winning. You can't have transactional politics here when eternity's at stake. The parties are full of sinners. If you offer a political message devoid of grace and warmth to the other side, if you decide the other side's the enemy, they're the heretics and they're going to burn, well, guess what? They're created in God's image too. And you're supposed to love your neighbor. It's hard to love your neighbor when your neighbor's on the political side opposite of you and you've decided you're a Christian nation and your church and your politics are perfectly compatible together when frankly, they never are because politicians, politics, and political platforms are full of sinful people doing sinful things. And you gotta decide at the end of the day, are you with God's kingdom or your kingdom? America is not a Christian nation. I don't think it ever has been, even if we were a nation full of Christians, it was never set up to be a theocracy or to model God's kingdom. But I can tell you for one thing, it is absolutely positively not a Christian nation now. It is a nation where a lot of people who claim to be Christian go fishing on Sunday instead of to church. And a lot of people who say they love Jesus, love the Jesus they've concocted in their head, not the Jesus who's in the Bible. So maybe we should learn to distinguish between the two and try instead of trying to amalgamate them together, because it's not going to work. The history of the entire world shows it's not going to work. So Republicans be Republicans, but pick what's more important to you, eternity or a temporary world. On that note, we should talk about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. <laughs> There's just no way to transfer uh, and, and transition to that. Uh, so the Eden Pure Thunderstorm is my air purifier of choice. Why? Because I'll be honest with you, I don't use it for the dust and the pollen, although it works for that. And it's filterless, so you don't have to get a subscription or for like filters to come every month. You just wipe it out. Instead, I like the Eden Pure Thunderstorm because it eliminates odors. Wipes them out. Doesn't mask them. Wipes them out. Saw a meme the other day that I, I dabble in essential oils as well, and it was a tub of bacon grease. Well, with the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, you don't have to worry about essential oils covering up odors. You just wipe out the odors. Whether it's pet odors, litter box odors, smoke odors, musty odors in a hotel room, right now you can get three of them for less than $200. What you do is go to EdenPureDeals.com and you put in the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. Put that in at EdenPureDeals.com. You'll get three of them for less than $200. You will save $200. You'll get free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3. Y'all, I, I, we got to laugh about this. Uh, Karine Jean-Pierre is the White House press secretary. How can somebody be so bad at their job? She went on uh, MSNBC, was talking to them about the president saying the COVID pandemic was over. Listen to part of this. Also in the 60 Minutes interview said that the pandemic is over. There's been quite a bit of pushback to that uh, statement by the president. Where, where is he today on that? So... I just to step back for a second, what we saw during that interview, uh, 60 minute interview, when he made those comments, he was walking through uh, the, the Detroit uh, car show, the halls of the Detroit car show, and he was looking around. We have to remember the last time that they had held that event was three years ago. Even as we're talking about UNGA, the president's going to speak shortly, as I just mentioned, we that hasn't been held in, in person for about three years as well. So we are in a different time. He's been very consistent about that. And the reason why is because we are now prepared. We are now ready. We know how to deal with uh, this pandemic. It is now m more manageable. It's not as disruptive as it's been uh, in the prior in the prior years. And so, and it is because of what this president has done on day one. If you think about where we were when he walked in, three thousand people were dying a day. That has come down ninety percent. You think about schools were closed. Now schools are open. Think about businesses were closed. Now businesses are open.
she can't really answer it. The best she can do is say he was distracted by the shiny cars. The White House press secretary essentially arguing that the reason the president said the pandemic is over is because he was distracted by shiny cars and being in there got wrapped up in the moment of being live somewhere and totally forgot the talking point. That's her answer. That's not a good answer. She's throwing her president under one of those vehicles at the Detroit car show. How is she so bad at this job? I don't know, but it's working for the GOP as the polling shifts back in their direction in the run-up to the midterms.